So I begin with a question on what scares you more than anything else? In an audience this size, there are probably at least 8 to 10 people who are scared of small or restricted spaces, what is commonly known as claustrophobia. And in a gathering with this number of people, there's probably at least about 10 to 15 of you uh, who struggle with acrophobia, which is the fear of heights. And nearly one-third of adults experience, if I'm going to say this right, orphidiophobia, which is, well, anybody know what orphidiophobia is? Fear of snakes. And so it's typically, <laughs> Adam's up here going, yeah, yeah, I am. I'm afraid of snakes. Yeah. Adam is big. You're like 6'4". And you wear boots. A snake that long could eat me whole. <laughs> in case you didn't catch that, he said a snake that long could eat me whole. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the way people feel, isn't it? Yeah. Don't like snakes. A lot of them. One third, it says. And then uh, one of the most common phobias that adults have is that of arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders. And, uh, and me, I'm afraid of like grizzly bears, okay? Something like two or three times my size that can outrun me. Okay, I'm afraid of that. But nonetheless, uh, you think about those. One, one thing you may have noticed is that all those fears, whether it's fear of, of tight spaces, fear of heights, fear of snakes or spiders, in every one of those, the number of people that are afraid of those is the a minority of people, if you really think about that. It's a minority of people that are claustrophobic, a minority of people who are uh, afraid of heights, and so on. And so there was a study that came out. Chapman University came, conducted a study in 2020-2021 finding out what people were afraid of. And of the people who responded over the two years that they conducted that survey, and if you've taken surveys, you know how it says like, you know, you know afraid, very afraid, you know, moderately afraid, not at all afraid. There's usually give you about five choices. They only took the top two categories, afraid and very afraid. And so this is the percentage of people, 79.6%, we can call that 80% or four out of five people, said that what they were afraid or very afraid of was corrupt government officials. 59% of people said that they were afraid of someone that they loved dying. 58% uh, said that they were afraid of someone that they loved becoming seriously ill. And then 57% were afraid of widespread civil unrest. 
And so, if you think about what was kind of going on in our country during that time, a lot of distrust in government, that was right in the heart of the, of the COVID pandemic. And so there's a lot of distrust of information and government during that time. So that bears into what people are saying there. But, you think about that, all of those, if you listen to those percentages, those were more than half of the respondents, weren't they? So a majority of people are saying, this is the stuff I'm afraid of. That's the kind of stuff that people don't talk about, you know, in casual settings. People don't mind talking about, yeah, man, I hate snakes. Or, I mean, I I can't stand seeing a mouse, a spider, or something like that. But people don't often say, yeah, my fear is my wife becoming seriously ill. Or my fear is something something happening to my husband, my child. Those are not the kind of fears that we typically talk about. We talk about fears. That's real, isn't it? The spider likely ain't going to get you. The snake likely isn't going to get you. But now that other stuff, that's, that's real. Okay, so widespread civil unrest may not be real, but it's a real fear that some people had at the time of that survey. And so what you might notice, though, is that those fears, where it involved a majority of respondents, all had to do with people, not critters or things like that. All had to do with people, and it was either a fear of people or a fear for people that we care about deeply. And so when we think about that, it's easy to understand why a good number of people would be prone to what we might call people-pleasing. And so we begin a series today that's going gonna, it's gonna to be three parts, real-life faith. And today is about people-pleasing. And so I want us to turn to, uh, turn to Galatians 2. And going to begin with verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, as some have heard that pronounced Cephas, it's also, it's Peter is who's being talked about here. But when he came to Antioch, Paul is saying, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Now, I'm going to stop there for just a second. So, this is Peter. We know that Peter is the guy who could be bold at times. Uh, In the garden when Jesus is being arrested, he's the guy who pulls out the sword and cuts off the ear of the servant of the high priest, a guy named Malchus. And Peter is the one who so boldly, when Jesus said, well, who do people say I am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet. Well, who do you say I am? It's Peter who among the twelve that steps forward and said, you are the Christ. You 
Jesus, you're the Son of God. It's Peter who stood up at Pentecost saying to that Jewish audience who were told in in Acts chapter 2 that they were cut to the heart because Peter says, you know, this Jesus, this was the Messiah, the Christ, and it's the one that you crucified. And they said, well, then what must we do to be saved? And he said, well, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus. And then you're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's that same Peter, and we're told there at the end of Acts 2 that about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So it's this Peter who has preached so boldly and proclaimed Jesus in many wonderful ways. We also know he's the same Peter who, when the going got tough, when times were tense, who denied Jesus three times. But yeah, this Peter. And so Paul is saying, you know, I kind of had to get in his face. I had to get up in his business. Because, you know, people came from James and, you know, he had been accustomed to eating, breaking bread with these Gentiles that he was preaching to and, and teaching and telling them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And then all these, these folks come and, and he refers to them as the circumcision group. It, it's the Jews. And so some Jewish brothers show up, and according to Paul, then Peter changes his behavior. Have you ever been in that situation where somebody is hanging out with you? This is what happened to me in high school. Probably wouldn't surprise many of you. But yeah, somebody's, somebody's talking to me, and then cooler people show up, and then they got nothing to do with me. They're going to talk to the cooler people. Okay, I don't know if any of you ever experienced anything like that. Some of you may think, no, I'm way too cool for anybody to have left my company, Greg. Yeah, and I'm sure you are. I'm sure you are. But no, no, me, I, I know what it's like to be the guy that, well, hey, Greg's here, I'll talk to him. Wait, I've got better options now. And then they walk away. And so I was kind of like, huh, yeah, well, I, I, I know where you stand. I know the score. And, uh, and so that's kind of what Peter has done. It's like, it's like okay, now these, uh, these well-known Jewish folks have come, and so now all of a sudden I don't want them seeing me breaking bread with these Gentiles. And so Paul says, you know, I had to get on to him about that. And so we pick back up with verse 13. The, others, the other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow follow Jewish customs? And so what is Peter, according to Paul, what's Peter engaging in here? It's a bit of people pleasing, isn't it? And that is something that we have to be aware of, is that there are times that our faith and our convictions will be compromised when we're around certain people. You know, it's easy to be a person of faith inside these walls, but we go out into the world 
And then it changes, doesn't it? Because then you have to have courage to show your faith out in the world. You have to be someone who is convicted enough to say, you know what, I'm going to let my light shine before others. And I don't care how they are going to respond. I'm not going to laugh at those certain jokes. I'm not going to speak using certain words. I am going to live like someone who has encountered the risen Savior. I'm going to live like someone who has Jesus in their life. And it does, it takes courage. Because human nature, the flesh, says, well, take the path of least resistance, right? Our human nature says, well, just blend in. You know, don't go against the grain, you know, because you just want to blend in and sort of, as the saying goes, go with the flow. I don't know if you ever tried to swim against a current. I've done it before and it's not easy to do. And that's exactly what we're doing in society if we're going to live the way we are called to live as children of God. That we have to put forth some effort. We have to go against the grain of our normal thinking. We have to go against the grain of what society would have us do. We have to put forth effort to be the kind of people that God calls us to be. Um, William Borden grew up in a wealthy family. And they gave him a round-the-world trip when he graduated from high school in the early 1900s. And so as a result of being of traveling around the world and seeing what was out there, seeing who was out there, uh, it began to stir a desire in young William Borden to become a missionary. And so this led one of his friends to write him and tell him, quote, don't throw your life away. So he graduates from Yale University, and then he was he became a minister, and then he becomes a uh, missionary in China, uh, or at least he was headed to China. And so uh, before he could make it to China, uh, he had stopped in the Middle East, and he was actually began serving God there, and then became ill and died at a young age. But his story then was written about and widely circulated back in the early 1900s. And so there were countless missionaries who, who people who were called to the mission field as a result of reading about William Borden's sacrifice, William Borden's life. That this is a guy who came from a family with tremendous means and could have done anything with his life that he could have wanted to do. And even at, at, the, at the advice of close friends who said, hey, don't throw your life away like this. Don't do that. You know, make something of yourself, right? And see, that's the world talking. That's not the kingdom talking. And so William Borden was yielding 
to the higher power. He was yielding to the gospel, to the good news of Jesus Christ and had this stirring within him, this sort of burning in his bones to go tell people in other parts of the world about the good news of Jesus Christ. How he died on a cross, laid down his life and shed his blood so that all of humanity could be forgiven of their sins. And he got it, that that was the greatest story ever told, and he wanted to tell it. And so countless people, though, became missionaries because of his story. And see, William Borden was willing to go against the grain. He was willing to swim upstream. He was willing to do what took some effort to go in other places where he may not have known the language, to go to other cultures. And we, sitting here today, you might not be called into a foreign mission field. I get that. But we can at least go out into the world once the work week begins and live like people who have a hope that the rest of the world without Jesus doesn't have. I want us to look also today at Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. Now, before before we read this, I want to preface it and say, you know, we are not people... Uh, who are uh, in slavery, okay, in the sense that there were people in the New Testament world who were in slavery. Uh, People in New Testament churches that were slaves to other people. And so most of Paul's letters, toward the end at some point, he mentions slavery, And so uh, I I preface this with the idea that uh, even though we don't find ourselves in that situation, that this is something that we can still take heart in, that we can look at the idea of who we work for who our employers are, who our supervisors are. And so it says, Slaves, beginning with verse 22 of Colossians 3, Obey your earthly masters in everything and do it, not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. So in other words, when when judgment from God comes, it is going to come in the form of of not showing favoritism as humans show favoritism. And so he's saying, you know, don't be somebody who does right just when somebody's looking. I've long heard it said that the test of who we really are is who we are when we think nobody's looking. That's really the test of our character, of our true nature, isn't it? How do we behave when we think nobody is looking? 
And so, what we get from that is be people who are ethical. Be people who are morally right. Not morally superior, but morally right. Doing what's right all the time. Not just when we think they're looking over our shoulder and we want to find favor with them. Now, some scriptures I want to share with you, and I included these in the, um, the study guide for tonight's uh, house church meetings. From Proverbs 29:25, fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Now, let me say that again. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. If someone as bold as Peter could be guilty and fall into the trap of people-pleasing, then how, is it, how easy is it for the rest of us? It's pretty easy, isn't it? To fall in that trap of worrying about what other people think. Well, if, if, I, if I'm different than the other people in my workplace, if I'm different than the other people in my neighborhood, how are they going to view me? What is that going to look like? And so, if we have that kind of fear, we have to know, church, that fear is not of God. That fear is of the world. That fear is of the devil. That is not a fear that benefits us in any way, shape, or form. And so we have to be aware of the temptation to please other people. From John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Think about that, church. They loved human praise more than praise from God. And so even though they were believing that Jesus was the long-awaited Christ, they didn't let their faith be known. And if we think, well, that's them then, and this is us now, and so there's a chasm of time between there, and so it doesn't apply to us. Oh, it absolutely applies to us, doesn't it? that we can fall into the trap of fearing to let our faith be known out into the world. And then finally, as we begin to conclude our time together, uh, Galatians chapter 1 verse 10, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. It's a church family. Scripture, not just in one place, but in multiple examples, makes it clear that it's in our nature, many of us, most of us, to be people who worry about people we care about and maybe fear other people in some ways. And so that we have to be people who say, you know, I'm not going to worry about pleasing people all the time. 
I have to worry first and foremost, be concerned first and foremost with pleasing God and doing what is right. It's going to take effort to swim against the current of society, to go against the grain. It takes effort to be children of God, to let our light shine in the dark places. But I will tell you this, like everything else we do, church, like everything else we do, what is especially hard when we first start doing it becomes easier. Adam mentioned this morning that he, he's looking at me like, oh, what did I do? Adam mentioned this morning, right, that he had never led a song before. Light the fire, right? Hadn't led that song. Hayden, you know what it's like to lead a song for the first time? Yeah. Not as comfortable as leading victory in Jesus for the 117th time, right? Steve Selby, can you amen that, brother? Yeah. Our song leaders know what it's like to stand in front of an audience and to do something for the first time. And there's a certain discomfort there. But then what a blessing when we engage in it, right? And so there is a blessing to come from beginning a conversation with somebody that you maybe you've never talked to before. There's a blessing that comes from seeing a need and serving someone in a way that we might once have thought, I'm just way too uncomfortable to do that. But church family, there is a blessing that comes from serving in the name of Jesus, from letting our light shine into the lives of others. And the more we do it, the easier it gets. And then it becomes habit. It becomes part of our nature. And it becomes so much easier if we're willing to just put ourselves out there and do it.